Information discussed in this podcast may be sensitive in nature to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In August of 2008, just before the start of school, Hannah Up was excited and looking forward to teaching that year at Thurgood Marshall in Harlem, New York. Hannah was going to teach middle school that year for the first time. On August 28, 2008, the students filled the classroom, but their teacher wouldn't show up. Hannah would be found 20 days later floating in the Hudson River, alive, with no memory of how she got there. Again, in 2012, Hannah had another episode and disappeared for two days. In 2017, Hannah was residing in St. Thomas, teaching school there. She was about to start her fourth year. She was happy and had many friends. She was well-liked by everyone on the island. On September 6th, the island was hit by Hurricane Irma. Many people had left the island, but Hannah had wanted to stay. On September 14th, another hurricane was headed toward the island. Most everyone was leaving for this hurricane. This would be Hurricane Maria. Friends tried to get Hannah to go with them, but Hannah refused. Some friends also noticed that Hannah seemed to be acting a little bit off. A few friends went off to look for Hannah that afternoon, but found her not at her apartment. Hannah was also not answering her phone. They went to Hannah's favorite place, Sapphire Beach, and sure enough, there was Hannah's car. They would also find her purse and her cell phone, but no Hannah. Hurricane Maria hit the island and the search for Hannah had to be cut short. Did Hannah have another episode? Did she leave the island before the hurricane? Where is Hannah Emily up? to the Where Are They podcast and another unsolved missing person case. This story, the case of Hannah Up, is so mysterious, I had to share it. At first, I really thought I had a good idea, at least in my own mind, of what likely happened to Hannah. But the more I learned about this case and her story, the more I am certain that we have no idea. We have no idea. Her story has some components that also make it a very important story to share for a few different reasons. Number one, Hannah is quite possibly alive out there and in need of help. Number two, Hannah's case involves some controversial mental illness topics, topics that are important to talk about. Number three, Hannah's family continues to search for Hannah and work to keep her story out there. Let's keep searching for Hannah. Before we jump in, a big welcome to our new patron, Joanne from New York. Welcome and thank you for your support. Our next series over on Patreon will begin soon. 
the unsolved disappearances in Yellowstone National Park. Thanks to our patron, Dee Dee, for the suggestion on this series. If you have a case suggestion for us, you can email me anytime at canwefindthem at gmail.com. Also, be sure to follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Our links will be in the notes, or you can just search for the Where Are They podcast. We have shared some recent updates on some cases. The case of five-year-old Harmony Montgomery in particular. Her father has been arrested and charged with her murder. I think this is something we all thought was a possibility, but we had hoped that there was another answer. I'll continue to keep you updated on his case and possible future trial. Hannah's case has a lot of twists and turns, so let's jump into her story. Hannah Emily Up grew up with her brother Dan and her parents in a small town in Oregon. Her parents were ministers and they attended a Japanese American church. Hannah's mother, while American, was fluent in Japanese and very involved in the church and the community. Hannah's parents were religious and they did have some strict values, especially her father. When Hannah was 15, however, her parents would divorce as their religious views started to differ greatly. Hannah's father went overseas to various countries to keep ministering. And Hannah, along with her mother and brother, would move to a small Quaker community outside of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. That is quite a cross-country move for a 15-year-old. Hannah at this time was also feeling a little conflicted with her own religious views. And while her father was very strict, Hannah was still very much a daddy's girl and would travel to visit him every year. Although she grew to question more and more of his religious beliefs as she got older. Hannah always said she was more drawn to the Quaker community, perhaps more so than her original Christian church that she had attended as a child. And I was curious, I do remember learning about the Quakers and the movement, but I have to admit, I'm pretty uneducated in that religion and way of life currently. So I had to do a little bit of research. I'm not going to dive in too much on this, but I think people's ways of life are important when they go missing. Study.com describes Quakerism as Quakers reject the practice of ordination for ministers, opting instead for equality among the members and opportunities for everyone to serve. To differing degrees, Quakers tend to reject the practice of rituals and sacraments, believing instead that the meaning of these things is manifested internally rather than through outward expression. Perhaps most distinctively, Quakers emphasize the guidance of the Holy Spirit or following the inner light. This is especially visible in the practice of silent worship. In some of their unprogrammed gatherings where silence prevails among the group until someone is led to speak. Friends and family described Hannah as fun and energetic while growing up. In fact, some friends said it was difficult sometimes to keep up with her because she was so high energy. But at the same time, her friends and everyone liked her. Her energy could be contagious, and she was just a fun and overall good person. Hannah would go to college at Bryn Mawr, a liberal arts college just outside of Philadelphia. During her time at college, she seemed to be struggling with something, something regarding her religious beliefs and society in general. Her mother knew she was struggling and knew she was having some 
inner turmoil, but didn't know what exactly it was about. But in Hannah's junior year of college, Hannah came out to her mother and those around her as she had begun dating a woman. Her father, in his strict religious beliefs, wasn't thrilled about this, but Hannah continued to visit her dad every year, and it seemed that while they may disagree on some things, they still maintained somewhat of a relationship. In the summer of 2008, 23-year-old Hannah was preparing to begin her career at Thurgood Marshall Middle School in Harlem, New York, as a middle school teacher. Hannah was living with a roommate and enjoying life in the city. Hannah also at this time became very aware of social issues. She even attended a Freegans meeting, which is a group of people who meet to discuss ways to reduce the usage of resources. For instance, after attending this meeting, Hannah began visiting grocery stores to get the food that they would throw out, realizing she could eat that food almost just as well as paying money and letting this other food go to waste. On August 27th, Hannah put on some shorts and a sports bra and headed out for a run through the city. But Hannah didn't come back. And her roommate noted that all her belongings were left behind, including her purse, wallet, passport, and cell phone. Everyone began looking for Hannah. And finally, almost two weeks later, Hannah is seen on surveillance footage at an Apple store in New York City. Someone had actually stopped her and asked her if she was that missing teacher. They had seen her flyers and her posters, which were all over the city by now. You can see Hannah on camera talking to this person and seemingly brushing it off, which is exactly what she did before continuing on. And Hannah was still seen wearing her sports bra and running shorts that she had left her house in two weeks earlier. Hannah was also seen going into the public library where she accessed her Gmail account on one of the public computers. The account was accessed, but there were no emails sent out. So everyone was baffled. Was Hannah missing on her own accord? Why was she in the same clothing? And she had remained in the city, the same city where everyone was looking for her. It just didn't make a lot of sense. Where was she staying? How was she eating and surviving? Hannah's friends, and she had many, had gathered together and been actively searching for her. In fact, many were camped out in her apartment while doing so. And these sightings of Hannah filled them with hope. They were excited. Hannah was out there. Hannah was okay, at least physically. On September 16th, the captain of a Stanton Island ferry saw something floating in the water. His heart sank as he saw the outline of a woman. When he got to her and the crew went to pull her up, she gasped for air and they realized she was very much alive. She was transported to the hospital where she was able to tell doctors who she was and gave them her mother's name and number. Her mother immediately raced to the hospital and sat by her side while doctors and authorities and herself questioned Hannah. But Hannah had no memory of the last few weeks. In fact, she had made some comments about how she needed to be discharged and get out of there so she could get her classroom set up and ready for the start of school. She seemed completely unaware that school had started weeks ago. Hannah was treated for dehydration. She had severe sunburn and hypothermia. When they could find nothing physically wrong with her that would have accounted for this memory loss or this episode, she was transferred to the psychiatric ward 
where after some time, she was diagnosed with a sudden and temporary form of amnesia known as dissociative fugue. Dissociative fugue is a rare condition in which people lose their access to their memory and their personal identity, occasionally sometimes even known to adopt a new one. And many times they may embark on a long journey. Mental health professionals believe this state is typically brought on or triggered by some sort of trauma. But Hannah didn't seem to have any trauma or at least remember anything that had happened to her. And she was actually hypnotized to see if she could recall anything. Did any traumatic thing happen to her on the day she disappeared, on that day when she went for a run? But Hannah remembered nothing. Hannah's case did make the local news and the response was mixed. And many people accused her of staging the whole thing. And Hannah reading these comments and hearing what some people were saying was mortified and embarrassed. She said at one point, she even told her friend that she considered moving away and changing her name so she couldn't be associated with being that teacher from New York City. She did continue with seeing a psychiatrist for a while, but ultimately felt it wasn't helping her. She felt they were trying to mold what happened to her and define it their way instead of truly understanding what happened to her. Hannah felt that her one-time incident didn't quite fit the definition of dissociative fugue disorder, but professionals seemed to want it to, or they needed to define it as such. It was frustrating for Hannah. She eventually stopped seeing a psychiatrist. In 2012, Hannah moved to Maryland and took a job at a Montessori school. Four years after the first incident happened back in 2008, It would happen again in 2012. Hannah disappeared. Also, on the first day of school, and woke up in a creek two days later, about a mile and a half away from her school. She had absolutely no memory of how she got there or what had even happened during those two days. Had she once again gone into a dissociative fugue? In 2013, Hannah took a job at a Montessori school in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and she seemed to thrive there. She had many friends. She was very social. She loved the beach and the water. Hannah was a very strong swimmer and enjoyed all water activities, especially snorkeling. And for four years, Hannah thrived living and working on the island. On September 6, 2017, Hurricane Irma made landfall on the island. While most people had evacuated, Hannah had chose not to. Hannah's friends tried to get her to leave the island, but she refused. In fact, the day before the hurricane would hit, Hannah went to her ex-boyfriend's place to talk to him. He wasn't home, and she learned that he was evacuating the island, so she drove to the port where he was preparing to board a cruise ship, a cruise ship that was being used to get people off the island, and she found him there, and they ended up speaking for hours. He would later say that she was acting a little strangely, although he couldn't really figure it out at the time and thought maybe it just had to do with the fact that everybody was leaving the island and Hannah didn't want to. And the hurricane hit the island with a vengeance. Wind gusts up to 137 miles per hour did tremendous damage. A few days later, Hannah's roommate couldn't find her. Her belongings were all at the place, but Hannah and her car were missing. Friends just started looking all over for her, not too worried, at least at first. But pretty soon it became clear that Hannah had vanished. 
Her friends decided to check out all of her favorite spots on the island. And one of her friends would find Hannah's car parked at Sapphire Beach. They looked around the beach for her and not seeing Hannah or any sign of Hannah, they went up to a bar that was on the beach. And they noticed in a pile on a stool at the bar, her keys, her sandals, and her sarong that she had been wearing were sitting there. When they asked the bartender about it, they said that they had been picking up and cleaning up items that were left on the beach. They had found these things and just brought them back to the bar and set them down, thinking maybe the owner would come looking for them. But she never did. And Hannah was nowhere to be seen in or around Sapphire Beach, despite her car and her belongings being there. The search for Hannah began and took place both on land and in the water. The island was still reeling from Hurricane Irma, however, and in a few days, the island would be under heavy winds and rainfall again, this time from Hurricane Maria. Searching for Hannah was intense for a few days until search efforts had to be completely suspended because of the hurricane. Hannah's family was made aware of what was going on. Not only had they been very worried because of the hurricane situation happening down there, now they learned that Hannah has once again vanished on an island that is about to be hit with a Category 5 hurricane. They didn't understand what was happening. Had she maybe had another dissociative fugue episode? Had she had an accident? During these times, there were boats everywhere evacuating and leaving the island. Many people believe that it's very possible she got onto one of those boats and left the area with no memory now of who she is. And if that's the case, she could be literally anywhere in the world. The Virgin Islands, specifically St. Thomas, is located to the east of Puerto Rico. Head south, you'll pass by some other smaller islands and you'll eventually arrive in Venezuela. Since there was a hurricane happening, it's unclear as to where many of those boats were headed. I did some research on Hurricane Maria to see if there was a particular area that these boaters were drawn to or that most were headed towards. But since all of the surrounding areas was also being affected by this hurricane, it's really unclear. Wikipedia describes Hurricane Maria as a deadly Category 5 hurricane that devastated the Northeastern Caribbean in September of 2017, particularly Dominica, St. Croix, and Puerto Rico. It is regarded as the worst natural disaster in recorded history to affect those islands. Everyone also had to wonder, did she have another sudden memory lapse? It is interesting when you look at the three times Hannah disappeared. The first time was right before the school year was starting in New York. The second time she was living in Maryland and it occurred again, just before the start of the school year. And this third time was once again, just at the start of the school year. Many psychiatrists believe that dissociative fugue happens as the result of a traumatic event or possibly a stressful event. Did Hannah feel an excessive amount of stress at the beginning of each school year for some reason? Aside from that correlation, friends and family had a hard time trying to think of something else that might be triggering this. The difference with this last disappearance is the lack of sightings of Hannah and the amount of time that has gone by. We are now on five years with no sign of Hannah up. Interestingly, there have been other disappearances of people suffering from 
dissociative fugue. And typically these cases do involve an event that triggers it and causes the person to travel. And that's a very interesting component of this fugue state as well. It causes the people to up and leave the area that they're in. I covered the case of Amber Gerwack before a young woman who had also disappeared for about a month, I believe, and had left her state of Michigan and ended up in Georgia. In Hannah's first two cases, she really didn't travel or go far at all. In fact, the word fugue is actually a Latin word for to flee. This condition or state is also considered to be temporary, usually weeks or months. But again, Hannah's been missing now for five years. Everyone that knew Hannah also knew that she was an exceptionally good swimmer. She was very strong, very athletic, and in great shape. Remember her first disappearance back in 2008? Hannah was found floating in the Hudson River and survived. Hannah's brother and the captain of the ferry that rescued her at that time kind of analyzed the events that led to Hannah being found in the water. By following the currents and the patterns of the water, they figured that Hannah had been in the water for a full day, was able to pull herself up on a small piece of land by a lighthouse to sleep for a bit, which is probably how she got so severely sunburned, and then she went back in the water the next day. She definitely was not in great shape when she was found, but she survived. But then again, surviving in the ocean during a hurricane is a whole other story. The island was searched, of course, as was a nearby small island. The Coast Guard was involved in the search and even utilized helicopters to cover more area. Her friends even thought to check the manifests of all the ships that had been used to evacuate island residents. But Hannah's name wasn't on any of them. Hannah's family was met with some resistance during the search from locals. A hurricane had, after all, just destroyed their island, and searching for one lost American girl wasn't high priority for many. Some local ship captains believed that if Hannah had been swept out to sea and succumbed to the elements out there, her body would have washed up in a few days based on the currents and how the patterns of that area work. Family and friends even went to identify some bodies in the morgue that were unidentified, and none of them were Hannah. Hannah's mother, Barbara, with the help of her Quaker community in Pennsylvania, spent months on the island after Hannah vanished. She would drive Hannah's car and frequent places that Hannah used to go, and aside from looking and searching for Hannah, doing this also made her feel closer to her daughter, more connected. She needed to be down there. Hannah's mother also enlisted the help of a prominent psychiatrist who specializes in dissociative fugues. He said that there is something, one powerful something, that lures the person into the fugue. The one thing he noted about Hannah's case is that she seemed to be lured to the water each time she went missing and into one of these fugue states. The first time was the Hudson River, the second time was a small creek, and now possibly the ocean. But one local on the island told Hannah's mother that he didn't believe for a second that Hannah went out into the water that day. And when asked why, he said anyone or anything that goes into those waters comes right back to the shore in a couple of days. I do think that a local and the locals there would know the island better than anyone, of course. But what about the hurricane? Two hurricanes, actually, back to back. Could that have changed the currents and the patterns during that time frame? Hannah's mother remained on the island for quite some time. 
During an interview, she quoted an Emily Dickinson poem and said, not knowing when the dawn will come, I open every door. Many of the islands of the Caribbean host people who disappear intentionally or unintentionally. Many people believe she could very well be living amongst an island population somewhere. Or had she possibly even made it down into South America? I don't know about you all, but I am conflicted on this one. Based on her history, I think it's more than possible that she got on a boat and suffered memory loss. The only thing that gives me pause here is the length of time that has now gone by. In the added tragedy of the hurricanes, Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Maria, that happened at the same time she vanished. Could it have been the perfect storm? What do you think happened to Hannah Up? Could she be living on an island somewhere or even South America where no one knows her and would recognize her? Where she could easily adapt a new identity? Hannah Emily Up is described as a Caucasian female, 5 foot 7 inches tall, and weighing around 120 pounds when she was last seen. Hannah has brown hair and brown eyes. She was 32 years old in 2017 and would today be 37. Hannah has three tattoos, a triangle with a wave on the inside of her right ankle, a sunflower on her right thigh, and a Venus symbol with an extra line on the left side of her lower torso. Anyone with any information on the whereabouts of Hannah Up, please contact the Virgin Islands Police Department at 340-772-5605. There has been some coverage of Hannah's case, but not nearly enough, especially because of the unusual circumstances and the possibility that she is living somewhere unknown to her family and friends and law enforcement possibly even unknown to herself. Thank you for listening to Hannah's story today. Be sure to share her information and keep spreading the word of her disappearance. If you've made it through the story and would like to show your support for our show and help it reach a wider audience, consider giving us a five-star review on your podcast platform. We really want to help all of these cases reach as many people as possible. Links to our social media, our Patreon page, and our merch page will be in the show notes as well. Again, thank you for tuning in and listening to Hannah's story. We will be back again soon with another Unsolved Missing Persons case. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones.